Would you now take your Bibles and turn, please, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Our theme, our theme today is what the Holy Spirit can do in you and me. This is part two. I shared with you part one last week. And as you're turning to Acts 4, I, I would like to uh, give some advice to the ladies in terms of understanding us men, okay? On this Father's Day, I, you know, you ladies need some advice on understanding us men. Isn't that correct, men? Say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, to begin with, men don't always say what we mean. Do we, men? All right. Let me translate for you what we sometimes mean. When a man says, when a man says it would take too long to explain, it means I have no idea how it works. Okay? When a man says, take a break, honey, you are working too hard, what he really means is, I can't hear the Raptors game or the baseball game or the hockey game or soccer or football uh, while, while the vacuum cleaner is going on, right? So, and I want to congratulate all you Raptor fans on your wonderful victory. Yes. Yes, you, you played and prayed real well, real well. <laughs> I can see we got a whole bunch of real fans here. That's, that's nice. All right. All right. When a man says, can I help with dinner, sweetheart? What he really means is, why isn't dinner already? <laughs> when a man says, you know how bad my memory is? What he really means is, I forgot your birthday. When a man says at a woman's clothing store, oh, sweetheart, you look, you look terrific. What he really means is, please don't try on one more outfit. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's just a little, little bit of advice about men. Okay, I hope these words will, will help some of you ladies. Okay. Now, the truth is, ladies, uh, I don't know if any of you remember, the, the truth is, the truth is, I, I, I listened to my Father's Day message from last year, uh, and that was when I actually did an, an acrostic of F-A-T-H-E-R. I listened to my message last year just to see what I said on Father's Day a year ago, and, and I, I saw, I saw um, these uh, words of advice that I had included last year, and I thought, oh, I really like these. I'm just going to pass them on to you again, okay? So, here we go. On the theme of what the Holy Spirit can do in you and me, in part one, I shared with you the following fantastic truths, whether you realized it or not, okay? So, I shared with you these four marvelous, beautiful, life-changing life-changing um, truths that were on the screen, okay? Number one, last Sunday, we said, 
Our human limitations and weaknesses can be transformed into supernatural gifts and abilities. Secondly, our hesitancy to be known as Christ's followers can be transformed into bold confidence. Our fear, three, our fears and, and intimidation can be transformed into a sense of invincibility. And number four, our convenient style of Christianity is transformed into costly commitment Christianity. That's a little summary of part one, and you can listen to the whole message from the Rosewood Church of the Nazarene website. Radio listeners, you're able to do that as well, of course. So now today, I come to the second part of this message entitled, What the Holy Spirit, especially the fullness of the Holy Spirit, can do in you and me. And the first truth I want to invite you to focus on is this. The Holy Spirit inspires us to promote unity, to promote unity. This truth is stated very clearly in Acts 4, verse 32, where it says, all the believers, and this is in that first century, after Pentecost, after the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it says all the believers were united in heart and mind. And this statement in verse 32 comes right after the statement in verse 31 where we are told they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, I believe that one, one of the results of the fullness of the Holy Spirit was and is greater unity, greater unity amongst the believers. All right? Greater unity. Dr. Arnold Earhart, writing in the Beacon Bible Exposition, says this. He says, The oneness of faith and purpose, but especially of love, is an identifying mark of the Christian church, just as love is the true badge of a Christian. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. It is the Lord's will, it's the Lord's will for us to live, worship, and work in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Amen? Or, as you see it on the screen, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And... Uh, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse, uh, verse 3. Why don't you read it um, together with me? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Let's go to the next verse. Colossians 2, 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So my friends, the question is this. Are you a person? Are you a, a woman? Or are you a man? Are you a man who promotes unity? Unity in your family? Unity in our church? At your workplace? At school? In your neighborhood? Wherever. Wherever. If you do, if you promote unity, you are probably a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If you are a person who is inclined to cause problems, if you're inclined to cause disunity, is it perhaps because you are not yet filled with the Holy Spirit? Perhaps only you know the answer. Perhaps only you know the answer. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Let's further discover what else the Holy Spirit, especially the fullness of the Holy Spirit, can accomplish in our lives. Let's go to this second truth. All right? Second truth is this. Read it from the big screen. The Holy Spirit brings about a very generous and helpful attitude in us. This comes from uh, various passages, passages of scriptures, but certainly one of them is Acts 4, the first part of verse 32. Why don't you read it with me together? And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And a little bit later, when you read Acts 4, verse 34 and 35, here's what it says. Together, here we are. There were no needy people among them. Whoa, 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 whoa. My voice alone, even if the microphone's turned off, is louder than hundreds of voices. What is this? What is this? Huh? Come on. All right, come on now. Together. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Amen. All right. Now, this, this is how they were described after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. One writer says, Generosity of the most unselfish kind made them different from the world. In regards to their generosity and their helpful spirit, I really appreciate what Dr. William Barclay says in his little commentary. He, he writes these words. He says, we must, note, we must note one thing above all. This sharing was not the result of legislation. It was utterly spontaneous. It is not when the law compels us to share, but when the heart, when the heart moves us to share that society is really Christian. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Reverend John Wesley, the great preacher from the 1700s who brought revival to England and who believed strongly in holiness, in entire sanctification brought about by the fullness of the Holy Spirit uh, Reverend John Wesley had three rules for managing money. Maybe you've read them here or there across the years. Reverend Wesley said this. Number one, gain all you can. Number two, save all you can. And number three, give all you can. Isn't that a wonderful way to live, Dr. Lisa? Yeah? Say it again. Say it again. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's wonderful, wonderful. May the Lord help you and me to live in this way. The commentator in my uh, 
New Living Translation, uh, Life Application Translation Study Bible beautifully says this in one of the notes. Uh, the, the author says, the early church was able to share possessions and property as a result of the unity brought by the Holy Spirit working in and through the believers' lives. This way of living is different from communism because the sharing was voluntary. Amen. My friends, I want to sincerely thank the many of you who are regularly generous and helpful in meeting the needs of others and supporting our church here, Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. Uh, recently, the end, the, the end of April marked the end of our church fiscal and financial year. And through the generous giving of many of you, we once again met and surpassed our world missions goal. Praise God. A couple of months earlier, we paid off all of our church mortgages and loans after 15 years. And through your generous giving, we were able to meet all of our congregation's ministry financial needs, including the radio broadcast. And so we give God praise and say thank you to the many of you who have made it possible. Amen. Amen. The good news is, is this. The fullness of the Holy Spirit results in producing very generous people. And I believe that today, even more, even more of us will pray and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And more believers will have an inner desire to be generous and helpful. And are, are you, are you going to be one of them? Are you going to be one of them? Amen. I do not know uh, a great deal about all the modern movies or even movies from years ago. But back in 1994, I'm sure that some of you heard of or, or saw the film called Schindler's List, Schindler, S-H-I-N-D-L-E-R, apostrophe S, Schindler's List, which took us back to World War II in the 1940s. How many of you remember Schindler's List? Wow, quite a few of you, actually. The film Schindler's List chronicled the heroic efforts of a, ger of a German industrialist named Oscar Schindler. Through his unselfish activities, over a thousand Jews on the trains to the death camps in Auschwitz, over a thousand Jews were saved. Although the film, even on television, has some very graphic and disturbing scenes, the message itself is profound. After Mr. Schindler found out what was happening in Auschwitz, where the Nazis were killing thousands and eventually millions of Jewish people. Schindler began a systematic effort to save as many Jews as he could. For money, he could buy Jews to work in his factory, which was supposed to be a part of the military machine of Germany. 
On the one hand, Mr. Schindler was buying as many Jews as he could, and on the other hand, he was deliberately, he was deliberately sabotaging the ammunition produced in his factory. He entered the war as a wealthy industrialist. And by the end of the war, he was basically bankrupt. When the Germans surrendered, Schindler met with his workers and declared that at, mid at midnight, they were all free to go. The most emotional scene of the film was when Schindler said goodbye to the financial manager of the plant, who was a Jew. And uh, he was also a good and trusted friend of Schindler. And as Mr. Schindler embraced this Jewish friend, Schindler sobbed. He cried his heart out, and he said, I could have done more. I could have done more, meaning he could have done more to save more Jewish people from Auschwitz. He looked, um, he looked at his automobile and asked, why did I save this, this car? Why did I save it? I, I, could have bought, I could have bought 10 Jews with this and have saved their lives, prevented them from going to Auschwitz. Taking another small possession, he cried out, this would have saved another dear Jewish person. Why, he said, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do more? My friends, one day Jesus is going to split the eastern sky and come for his people, come for his own. And it will not matter then how much money, how much money we have in a mutual fund or how many bedrooms we have in our home the temporary satisfaction we have in vacations and nice cars will be gone. Only, only what we have done for the cause of Christ will matter. Amen. Schindler said, why didn't I do more? May the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which results in generosity and a helpful spirit, enable us, enable us someday to stand before the Lord in confidence, knowing that we have done our best, done our best for the Lord and for others. Amen? Let's move to a third beautiful truth. It is this. The Holy Spirit creates a greater desire in our hearts to obey God. Uh, look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Here's what it says. 
The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Verse 24, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the, in the temple teaching the people. Verse 26, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never, never again to teach in this man's name, that is in the name of Jesus, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Verse 29, but, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. But we must obey God rather than men, as the New International Version puts it. Vance Havner, in his beautiful book, Consider Jesus, says this. He says, you have, not, <clears throat> you have not really loved a commandment, or you have not really learned a commandment until you have obeyed it. Isn't that good? You have not really learned a commandment until you have obeyed it. And then he goes on and he says, the church suffers today from Christians who know volumes more than they practice. And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, John 14, 23. And 1 John 5, verse 3 declares, this is love for God to obey his commands. And so the question is, how is it? How is it with you and, and you and you and you up in the balcony? Radio listeners, how is it with you and with me? Are we living in obedience to the Lord? Is your lifestyle and language the same Monday through Saturday as it is on Sunday? The truth is, the truth is, for a lot of people, the word obey is almost like a D-I-R-T-Y word. It's almost like a dirty word. Come on now, isn't that true? Yeah. The truth is there are a lot of people who either say or, or at least think to themselves things like, oh, 
I won't obey my parents. I won't obey the law. I won't obey my boss. I won't obey my teachers. I won't obey the rules of the road. Now I won't obey the church rules. I won't obey the Ten Commandments. Now I won't obey God. I won't, say so many people. There are many people in our culture whose belief is, I'll do what I want, when I want, if I want, how I want to, and nobody is going to tell me otherwise. Yeah. A lot of folks like that. I'll do what I want, when I want, if I want, how I want. And, and, and the sad truth is there are some Christians like that too. And that has to change, folks. That has to change. I want you to know this. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how many degrees you have. Smartness and degrees are wonderful. But it doesn't matter how much money or how many stocks and bonds you have. It doesn't matter how handsome or how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter if you're a young rooster or an old hen. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are the latest Canadian <clears throat> or American idol or Perhaps you've been a has-been. It doesn't matter if you are a whiz with all the latest gadgets and computers and Facebook and Twitter and Twatter and, and the newest televisions and the newest cell phones. What's the latest Twitter and Twatter thing going on now? Pastor Lisa, you know this stuff. What is it? Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, Snap. And what's up? What's up? I was told not to get what's up because, because Raven told me I'd go crazy just reading all the stuff you would send me and I'll just get distressed about that. Anyway, Jesus says to you and me, if anyone loves me, he or she will what? Will obey my teaching. Do you love Jesus? Are you obeying his teaching? There weren't quite as many that said yes. Are you obeying his teaching? Consider how you live your life each day. Consider how you lived your life, for instance, this past week. How did you treat other people? How did you speak? to other people. The Lord says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you were text messaging this week, or if you were emailing, or you were on Facebook, or on WhatsApp, or Twitter, or whatever. 
How did you handle yourself? And how did you show that you love Jesus? That you love Jesus? Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. The Bible says this is love for God to obey his commands. Is it possible? Is it possible that what you need is to experience the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit to create a greater desire in you to obey God, to obey what the Scripture teaches us? Is it possible? What else can the Holy Spirit, especially the fullness of the Holy Spirit, do in your life and mine? Consider truth number four. The Holy Spirit purifies our heart. Or we could say the Holy Spirit cleanses our heart. Why don't you read these beautiful verses from Acts 15, verses 8 and 9, together, out loud. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. He cleansed their hearts. Some of your translations say he purified their hearts by faith. In regards to having their hearts purified, Dr. Ralph Earl in his commentary says this. He says, an interaction a cleansing, a cleansing of the heart from sin by the inward purging of the sanctifying spirit. All right? This is the cleansing, the purifying, is an interaction, a cleansing of the heart from sin by the inward purging of the sanctifying spirit. That's what the Word of God tells us. And so, is your heart, my friend, is your heart, is your inward nature fully purified? Are we fully purified? Jesus said, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 1 John 1, 9. Why don't you read it with me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, speaks of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. To purify for himself a people that are his very own. My dear friends, I ask us, I ask you to allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit to purify, to cleanse your heart. It is the essence of holiness. It is what God wants for all of us. Think upon what being filled with the Holy Spirit can do in your life 
and mine. Reflect upon the four truths that I've shared with you. Read them with me. Number one, the Holy Spirit inspires us to promote unity. Number two, the Holy Spirit brings about a very generous and helpful attitude in us. Number three, the Holy Spirit creates a greater desire in our hearts to obey God. The Holy Spirit purifies our hearts. That's number four. Isn't it wonderful, the good and the great things that the Holy Spirit can do in you and in me? Amen. It's beautiful what God, by his Holy Spirit, is able to do. Now, your response and mine needs to be, Holy Spirit, do in me what needs to be done so that indeed I am a person who promotes unity. I am a person who is generous with a very helpful attitude towards others. Do in me, Lord, what needs to be done so that I have this greater desire to obey you, Lord, and to obey, obey what you've taught us in your holy Bible. Do in me, Lord, what needs to be done to cleanse, to purify my heart, to just clean me out through and through on the inside. We're going to sing this beautiful hymn. There's some of you that need to come today to kneel or stand around this altar and to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Do inside of me, do inside of me what you alone are able to do. Cleanse me, purify me, fill me. Bring, bring out, Lord, these beautiful traits that we've been learning the last couple of messages. Let me live these traits out through the presence and the power and the purifying work and the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Would you stand, please? Would you stand? Would you stand? You come, come, come as we sing. Come. Men, 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 we need, we men need what the, the scripture is talking about. This isn't just for women, it's for all of us men for all of us men. Yes. Come as we sing. Some have already started to come. Let's sing.